gospel. This morning, uh, I am very thankful for the opportunity for us to talk a little bit about prayer and fasting. As we get ready to step into a brand new year, uh, one of the things we have done for many years here at Liberty Church is we've kind of started every year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. We'll be kick-starting that next Sunday. And what I want to do today is really just kind of lay some foundation stone, give us some understanding of why do we spend 21 days in prayer and fasting? Why do we take the time to do those things? And really, ho hopefully, give you some practical resources to help you make the most of these 21 days. How many of you understand there is a law in the Bible called the law of first fruits? And the law of first fruits simply says this, what you do with the first determines what happens with the rest. And so we decided years ago, we're going to take the first month of the year and we're going to dedicate 21 days at the beginning of that month to seek the heart of God. To press in through prayer and fasting and worship and the Word of God to know Him and connect with Him and really to set the precedence for this coming year. So we're really excited about that. When you think about in the natural, uh, when people talk about New Year's, we typically talk about New Year's resolutions. I want to just challenge us just a little bit because statistics show that most New Year's resolutions don't even make it through the month of January, much less make it through the year. So here's what I want to challenge us with. What if instead of making New Year's resolutions, what if we decided to make some daily decisions? Some daily decisions that I believe can create some holy habits in our lives that can transform us and literally change the trajectory of our lives. Now, this is a good group of people in this room here today. And uh, most of us in this room, if you've been serving God for any amount of time, you can probably think back, some of you five years, uh, some of you, if you're a young person, maybe a year, some of you 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, maybe even 50 years. Some of us can look back over our lives and you can think about how that you made one decision and that one decision changed the trajectory of your life. Now, I know this about that one decision. That one decision wasn't just an independent decision. That one decision was the beginning of many daily decisions. And all of a sudden, out of those daily decisions, now a year later, five years later, 10, 20, 30 years later, you are finding yourself in a place that you would have never been had it not been for that one decision to change the direction of your life. And so my prayer is that as we go into this 21 days of prayer and fasting, that prayer and fasting will become a part of our daily life. It'll become a part of who we are as individuals and that through embracing this process, really this spiritual encounter with God, we can change the trajectory of our lives. So look with me in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus begins to teach us on prayer and fasting. Listen to what he says. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. And then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Let me stop right there for just a second. Because Jesus starts out talking about prayer. Number one, telling us what not to do. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray just in public places so that they can be seen by men. Understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus 
is addressing a culture where the scribes and the Pharisees had turned religion into this public display of applause. And that is that they were living for the applause of men. They were living to be seen by people. And Jesus said, hey, when you pray, don't pray to be seen by men. Pray to be heard by God. Because if you pray just to be seen by people, Jesus said that's all the reward you're ever going to get. Now let me tell you what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying don't pray in public. Right? He's not saying don't pray in public. He's just saying that no matter where you are when you pray, make sure your prayers are intended to connect you with God, not to be seen or heard by people. How many know public prayer actually is a pretty vital part to what God wants to do in the world today? Our prayers in church matter. Our prayers, when you and your family go out to eat and you take a moment to bow your head and pray and bless your food, how many of you understand that prayer unto the Lord has power with God? So the warning is not don't pray in public. The warning is when you pray, if you're in public, make sure that your public prayer and your private prayer is intended to connect you to God, not to win the applause of people. And then Jesus goes on talking about prayer. He says, and when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your heavenly Father, for your Father knows exactly what you need before you ask Him. So pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So again, Jesus says, when you pray, don't do this. You know what he says don't do? Don't use vain, repetitious words. He says, because here's the idea. Your prayers are not powerful because they're long. It's not long prayers. It's not repetitive prayers. It's not lengthy prayers that prevail. It's not the length of our prayer. It is the connection of our prayer with God the Father that changes things. Jesus said, when you pray, don't use repetition. You're not just trying to pray long prayers. You're not trying to use eloquent words. You're trying to connect with God. Listen to what he says. When you pray, don't use repetition, but pray like this. Our Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The purpose and the power of prayer is not in the words that we speak. It's in the connection that we make with God the Father. How many of you have ever been on a phone call with somebody and the call got dropped and 20 minutes later they call you back and say, hey, I just realized we dropped the call. That's because for 20 minutes they never took a breath, right? Y'all ever been on one of them phone calls, they call you back 15, 20 minutes later, oh, I realized we dropped the call. You're like, oh, yeah, I, yeah. Anyway, how many of you understand the power of that phone call was not in the words they said. The power of that phone call was in the connection they had with you. The moment they lost connection, their words had no power. And the same is true of our prayer life. Jesus said, don't get caught up in repetition. Don't get caught up in praying pretty prayers. God wants to connect to your heart. It's really about connection. The power of your prayer is your connection with our Father in heaven who loves you. And then Jesus goes on. Look what he says in the next verse. 
He says, and if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I want you to see something. Jesus just gave us the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our sins or our debts, King James says, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And then Jesus circles back to that. Jesus circles back to forgiveness because he wants us to understand something significant about forgiveness. He says, if you don't forgive your brothers and sisters their trespasses against you, then neither will your Father forgive you. What is he trying to tell us? He's talking about prayer. What he's trying to tell us is that unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment in our heart toward another person hinders our prayer and our communion with God. When I have unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart toward another person, it hinders and affects my relationship and my communion with God the Father. If I don't forgive you, Jesus said, He won't forgive us. Does that mean I'm not saved? No. Does that mean I'm not going to heaven? No. Does that mean that God doesn't love me? No. God loves me. I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. But there is a breach in our relationship because of unforgiveness. Let me tell you something powerful Jesus is trying to drive home here. He's dry, trying to drive home a revelation. You remember what he told? He told a parable. He said, if you go to the altar to offer your gift to God and you remember that your brother has aught in his heart against you, go to your brother first and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift to God. Why? Because forgiveness matters. And when I have unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart toward another person, it affects my relationship with God. Let me say it like this. When I have bitterness in my heart toward another person, not only does it harden my heart toward them, it actually hardens my heart toward God. It creates a disconnect. Think about, we just, we just had Christmas, right? And Christmas time, the holidays is a time when families get together. You get to see the people you enjoy seeing. You get to see the people you don't necessarily enjoy seeing. And, and here, here's what we know to be true. If, if you and another family member have odds with one another, if there's some bitterness or some resentment or some unforgiveness, you know what? Everybody can get together. Everybody can eat. We can open presents and we can do all that stuff. But if there is bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness in your heart toward that other person, they can be in the same room, but you're not connected in relationship. You can share the same meal, but you're not connected in relationship. You can exchange presents but you're not connected in relationship. It doesn't mean they're not still your relative. They're still kin to you, good, bad, or ugly. Right? But it means that relationship is hindered and hampered because of that unforgiveness and that bitterness. And Jesus said, understand that your relationship with people affects your relationship with God. And let me just say this to us today. One of the most powerful tools of prayer that we can tap into this year is the tool of forgiveness. It's deciding in our hearts today that I'm going to walk in forgiveness and grace toward all the people in my life that hurt me. I'm going to forgive in advance. Now I might have to work through it and I might have to deal with it and I might have to press through some things, but I'm going to go ahead and decide in advance I'm going to walk in forgiveness. Why? Because my relationship with God is so important that I cannot allow bitterness or resentment in my heart toward another person to affect my communion and my connection with God. Now one of the things we know here at Liberty Church that we talk about a lot is that forgiveness is powerful because forgiveness frees you. It doesn't free them. 
they're still accountable to God for the choices and decisions they make. But when I forgive them, it frees me from the repercussions of their sin. I'm no longer bound by their sin. And now I'm free to connect with God. Jesus said prayer is powerful and forgiveness is the key to powerful prayer. Amen? And then he goes on. <clears throat> Look at the next verse, verse 16. He says, and when you fast... Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheased so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. Again, Jesus says, hey, whatever we do, our prayer and our fasting is to be done unto the Lord, not to be done for the applause of people. Verse 17, but when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. How many know that's good advice even if you're not fasting? Get a bath and wear deodorant. I'm helping you out, okay? Here we go. 2024 advice. Get a bath, wear deodorant. All right, verse 18. That, that kind of came from the Bible. Here we go. Verse 18. Then no one will notice that you're fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Think about this. Private devotion produces public reward. Private devotion unto the Lord produces a public reward where God will honor you and bless you. If you want to excel in public, then cultivate in private a relationship with God. Amen? If you want to excel on your job in public, cultivate in private your relationship with God. If you want to excel in your marriage in public, then cultivate with God in private your relationship with God. It's the key, really, to all success. It is our intimacy with the Lord. So let's talk about some prayer and fasting guidelines. Let me give you some very practical things that I hope that you're going to join us in doing. One of the things we try to do here at Liberty Church is we try to create kind of a training track. We try to create a path that we can run on together that can then become a springboard for what God wants to independently and personally do in your lives. Let me give you the first thought about prayer and fasting. First of all, prayer and fasting is really about creating a strategy that will engage us spiritually. Creating a strategy that will engage us spiritually. If you pray and fast for the next 21 days and you never engage spiritually with God, then you've missed the mark of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting, listen to me, fasting is not a spiritual diet. Fasting is not just about abstaining from things in the flesh. Fasting and prayer are about connecting and engaging with God in a supernatural, spiritual, personal, intimate way. So the goal of prayer and fasting is that we engage with God spiritually. I'll be honest with you, we've been doing prayers, uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting for many, many years. And there have been times and seasons where it seemed like the only focus I had during that time was what I wasn't going to eat. How many of you know if your only focus is what you're not going to eat, then you're missing the focus of prayer and fasting? And so the goal is spiritual engagement, not just fleshly abstinence from food that we are eating. So we want to spiritually engage. How are we going to do that? Through prayer, worship, and the Word of God. And this requires a set place, a set time, and a set plan. I say this every year at this time because I think it's important. If you are going to cultivate a life-giving relationship with God, if you're going to develop a private life with Jesus, private devotion that produces public reward, you're going to have to have a set place, a set time, and a set plan. 
You need a place. Where are you going to meet with Jesus at? You need a time. What time are you going to meet with him? For me, it's 5 to 5.30 every morning. And for years, I, I met the, with the Lord at our dining room table. But we're now empty nesters. Come on, praise the Lord. So we've been cleaning out some rooms and rearranging some things. So I now have this wonderful little study in my room with a bunch of books on the wall and a little desk and still a little junk pile over there we're working on. And so now for the last couple months, that's my now new quiet time place. So instead of going to the dining room table, now I go into the study. I got my coffee and my water, and I sit down to spend time with Jesus. 5 to 5.30 almost every morning of the week. That's my time. I have a set place. I have a set time. And I have a set plan. I have a strategy. I know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I know what I'm going to do the next day. I can tell you what I'm going to be doing 35 days from now. Because I have a strategy and a plan of where I'm going to cultivate my relationship with God. I believe my relationship with God is so important, I can't leave it to chance. I believe that our relationship with God is so important, we can't just try to make it happen. Let me tell you what I know that's true for me. It may not be true for you, but it's true for me. If I just try to work it in, it never works in. If I try to work in my quiet time and work in prayer and work in the Word and work in some worship and work in those, it never works into my schedule. There's always something pressing. There's always something pushing. There's always something that's demanding my time and my energy. But if I will make an appointment with God, it'll change my life. I want to encourage you, make an appointment with God. A set time, a set place, and a strategic plan, a set plan of what you're going to do as you meet together with the Lord. I'm going to give you an idea of what that plan can look like today. And we're going to help you launch into that. But you've got to make the decision that I'm going to make an appointment with God and meet with Him every day. Amen? All right. So let's talk about what that time, that plan looks like. The first one is simply this. You need points of prayer. Points of prayer. Points of prayer release us from striving in the flesh and they empower us to win in the Spirit. Let me say this and then we're going to look at James chapter 4. Everything that is manifested in the flesh first has to be established in the spirit. Before you win a natural battle, you got to win a spiritual battle. And here's the problem. Most of us are striving in the flesh. Right? We're striving in the flesh. we got a wayward child. And we do everything in our flesh to win that wayward child back to Jesus. And it seems like the harder we try, the further we drive them away. We have a struggling marriage. And we try to win our spouse by the works of our flesh. And the more we try and the harder we try, we keep sticking our foot in our mouth. We keep saying the wrong thing. We keep doing the wrong thing. We keep getting the wrong results because we're in our flesh. We're trying to prosper financially. And we're striving in the flesh. And we're striving in the flesh. And we're doing side hustles and side jobs and all these things just to get ahead and make another dollar. And it never adds up. Why? Because as long as you're striving in the flesh, you'll never win the battle. Jesus said it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. We win first in the spirit. That doesn't mean you don't work in the flesh. I'm just going to tell you, you're probably going to work your tail off. Because anything of real value does require work. But when you're working with God, instead of working in the flesh, you see results that manifest in producing the things that you're believing God for. So we need points of prayer to give us strategic focus so we begin to war in the spirit instead of striving in the flesh. Listen to how James says it in James chapter 4. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil de desires that war within you? 
You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. But look at this last part. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. You're striving, you're warring, you're fighting, you're laboring, you're doing all these things. And the reason you're not getting the thing you want is because you're not praying about it. You're not asking God for it. Philippians 4, 6, what a great verse. Don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. James identifies two areas. He says you want what you don't have. And you want what others have. And because of that, you get in your flesh when all you really had to do was ask God. I want you to think about this. As we go into 2024, what do you want? What do you really want God to do in your life this year? What do you want God to do in your life this year? Because here's the good thing about prayer. Not only can we ask God for what we need, but in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, Jesus says, Whatsoever you desire when you pray, believe you receive it and you'll have it. The Bible says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. So not only do we ask God for what we need, we can ask God for what we want and what we desire. So let me ask you, what do you want? What do you want God to do in your life this year? And think about that. Why don't you take that desire and turn it into a prayer? Why don't you take that desire and instead of striving and laboring and fussing and fighting to get it, why don't you start praying about it and why don't you start warring in the Spirit so you can establish in the Spirit and allow it to be manifested in the flesh. And then he says, not only do you want you don't have, he says, but you look at what other people have and you want what they've got and out of jealousy and covetousness you desire what they have and try to take it away from them. How many of you understand that really never works? <laughs> As I was praying through this, the Holy Spirit said, he said, Keith, what if we flip the coin, the coin? What if instead of being jealous of people, what if we were inspired by people? He said, think about it. When you look at other people, I'll just be honest with you. I look across this room, and I know so many stories and, and so, much, so much of your history of so many people in this room. And I look at you, and I'm inspired by your faith. I'm inspired by your determination. I'm inspired by your commitment. I'm inspired by your patience, by your love, by your compassion. And wouldn't it be amazing that instead of being jealous of other people, that we actually looked at other people and we said, God, I want what they got. I want the faith that they have. I, I want the perseverance that they have. I want the determination that they have. And instead of being jealous and covetous of that person, instead of being driven by jealousy, what if we were inspired by faith? And we said, God, I want what they got. And we began to pray into that thing. Not take from them what they have, but pray into that thing that they have that we desire and say, Lord, I want more of that patience. I want more of that love. I want more of that hunger for your word in my heart, God. I want that. James said, we have all these wants and all these desires. And all we had to do was ask God. Just go to God in prayer. One of the things we're going to do starting next week as we launch our fast, we're going to have daily points of prayer. And we're going to make those available in multiple areas where you can grab those and get those. But let me encourage you, not only do we need corporate points of prayer, which I think is significant and important, but you need personal points of prayer that help you focus in on what God wants to do.
Look at that next thing. The next thing we're going to do to create a strategic plan for us to press into God is we're going to create, you already heard about it, nights of worship. Corporate worship produces a corporate anointing. And personal worship cultivates intimacy with God. Let's talk about that last part first. Let's talk about what happens through personal worship. When you cultivate a lifestyle of worship, you know what happens? Worship creates intimacy with God. One of the definitions in the Greek is for the word worship literally means to kiss the feet. Worship is kissing the feet of Jesus. How many of you know that sounds pretty intimate? <laughs> I've washed a few feet over the years. I don't think I've ever kissed any feet. Man, that, that's a level of intimacy. That's what worship does. Worship draws us in to a place of intimacy. Personal, private worship is when we can get down on our knees and we can literally take a posture of humility where we begin to kiss the feet of Jesus. We begin to connect with Him. We begin to honor Him. We begin to praise Him. We begin to celebrate Him. We begin to pour our love out on Him. And all of a sudden, through that act of personal worship, there's a connection, there's an intimacy. You begin to know God. God begins to reveal Himself to you. Let me tell you, something powerful happens when you get alone intentionally with Jesus. Not only can you bear your heart, but God begins to bear His. You begin to see things about Him you've never seen because you worship Him. So, so let me just encourage you, what can that look like in your daily life? It can literally look like taking five minutes and choosing your favorite worship song and just putting that one song on and saying, God, I'm just going to worship you. Let me tell you what's awesome about God. Worship, by the way, is intended for Him, not for me and you. Right? My favorite worship joke is simply this. A guy came up to the pastor after church one Sunday and said, Pastor, I didn't enjoy the worship service today. And the pastor said, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. So it really don't matter if you enjoyed it because we're not worshiping you. Because worship is about who? It's about Him, right? We're worshiping Him. But here's what's awesome about God. God loves all kinds of worship. So you can pick your favorite worship song. And you can put it on. And you can take five minutes every day and just say, Lord, I'm just going to take this, this time right here. I'm just going to worship you. And you know what will happen? God will meet with you there. God will meet with you there. And let me just tell you this. Some of you right now, your whole life could change. If you change the station you're listening to. Your, your Spotify list, your Pandora list, your iMusic list, your whatever list. Some of you, your whole life would change. If you change the playlist of music you're listening to on your phone. If you turn the station in your car. Your whole life would change. If you just begin to focus in on creating an atmosphere of worship in your heart and in your life. And let me just encourage you in this. This is an awesome opportunity for you to not only cultivate personal devotion to the Lord. This is a great opportunity, mom and dad, to cultivate a lifestyle of worship in your family. Our kids have been praying and fasting almost since they were born. <laughs> now that's not realistic, but as they were a little bit older, they always participated in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we, we had daily devotionals, and we had prayer times, and we had worship time. And we would gather the family together. And it was, listen to me, it was always based on the youngest person's ability. 
So if it was a five-year-old, we had five-year-old worship in the Word and prayer. So that meant probably about a minute and a half. <laughs> it was short. It was condensed. It was, and it, we always catered to the lowest level, the youngest participant in the group. And here's what's awesome. As our kids got older, we got to go a little deeper. We got to go a little deeper. But this is what I found out. I found out those five-year-old devotionals spoke just as much to me as they did to our five-year-old. This is a great opportunity, Mom and Dad, to set a new standard in your home. And I'm not talking about an hour-long worship service. I'm talking about just gathering us together, saying, you know what, family? This matters. This matters. Jesus matters. Our relationship with God matters. This is important. And again, I'm talking five minutes, 15 minutes. I'm not talking long, long, long periods of time. I'm just talking creating a point of emphasis. It can change the trajectory of your family. Amen? All right. Corporate worship. Let's talk about that for a minute. Corporate worship releases a corporate anointing. How many of you know that a while ago while we were worshiping, God was doing things corporately that would not have happened individually? There is a corporate anointing that happens when we worship together. There is a corporate anointing that happens when we gather together around the banner in the name of Jesus Christ. Psalms 133 says this. Listen to what it says. It says, a song of ascents. This was a song they would sing as they were going into the house of the Lord. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head. That's the anointing oil. Running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. How many of you know that when we come together in corporate worship, we are united? We're all singing the same song. We're all worshiping the same God. We're all honoring the same Lord. There's something powerful about corporate worship that unites us. And how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Their God anoints His people and blesses them with the refreshing of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says this. Look what He says. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you that two on earth shall agree concerning anything that they ask, and it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's the power of prayer, the power of agreement. Look at verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now think about this. We have the omnipresence of God, which means God is already everywhere. David said, there's nowhere I can go to escape from your presence. As a born-again Christian, we have the indwelling presence of God, which means that the Spirit of the Lord lives within us. So Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. What he's talking about, this is, a, this is different from omnipresence, and this is different from indwelling presence. What Jesus is talking about is when you gather together in my name, there is a manifest presence of God. He says, I show up in the midst of that. Where two or three gather together in my name, I show up. My presence is manifested in your worship. My presence is manifested in your prayers. My presence is manifested when we gather together around the name of Jesus Christ. And starting next Sunday night for three weeks from 6 to 7 o'clock, we're going to gather together for one hour of worship. We're going to kiss the feet of Jesus. And we're going to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And guess what? God's going to show up. 
I can't tell you how many miracles, how many healings, how many breakthroughs, how much restoration has happened in this church over the years just through corporate worship. And after the service, people come up and they say, Pastor Keith, during worship today, the Lord did this in my life. During worship today, I felt this break off my life. During worship today, God released this from me. During worship today, this happened and that happened. During worship, I saw a dream. During worship, I saw a vision. During worship, I saw angels. During worship, I experienced all these different things. Why? Because Jesus said, if you gather together my name, there I will manifest myself to you. Corporate worship releases a corporate anointing. Look at that next point. Scripture memorization. We need the Word of God. Last year was the first time we said, you know what, as a church, we're going to focus on memorizing Scripture together. And here, here's what's sad. As I was thinking about this just this week, unfortunately for many years in the local church, Scripture memorization has become a child thing. We're going to teach our kids Bible verses, and they're going to get stars, and at church they can get Liberty loot here at Liberty, and they can get something cool out of the prize thing, and we're going to teach the kids to memorize scripture, and we're going to teach the kids to memorize the Lord's Prayer. How many of you understand that the sword of the Spirit is not just a kid thing, it's an adult thing? And the older you get, the more you need the Word of God. The older you get, the more you need God's word in your heart. So next week, you'll get a prayer, you'll get a, a, a scripture card, you'll get a bracelet that we used last year. How many of y'all remember our bracelets from last year? Helping you just to remember, memorize the scripture. They're a great resource. And let me tell you why that matters. Because focused scripture produces focused thoughts, which produces focused results. There's a promise for every problem, there's a truth for every trial, there's a seed for every need. No matter what you're going through, God's Word is the answer. God's Word is the answer. It is the sword of the Spirit by which we defeat the enemy. It is the sword of the Spirit by which we win the war that we are raging right now in this world. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the Word of God. It is the life of God given to us. And by His Word, we experience victory. Look at Psalms 119. How can a young person stay pure? You could substitute old person in there, middle-aged person. Any age person, how can a person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commandments, the Psalms have said. Look at verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How many know God's written word is powerful? But it's God's hidden word that changes your life. God's written word is powerful. But it's God's hidden word. When the word of God is hidden in your heart, that's when transformation happens. When the word is made flesh, we behold his glory. When the word is made flesh, grace and truth show up and change the circumstances and the situations of our lives. It is crazy. We know the stats to our favorite football team. But we don't know a scripture to quote in time of need. It's crazy we can sing every song on the radio that has nothing to do with Jesus. But we can't quote one scripture when trial and tribulation comes our way. That's not to condemn us. That's to challenge us. To say, hey guys, we need the word. We need to hide God's word in our heart so that we will not sin against him. The hidden word becomes a weapon of warfare that empowers us to fight the good fight of faith. How many know that when all hell breaks loose, sometimes you don't have time to go look up a verse? 
Sometimes you need the word right then and right there. And this is what Jesus said of the Holy Spirit. He will bring to your remembrance those things that you have heard from me. The more I study, the more the Holy Spirit will bring to my remembrance those things that I have hidden in my heart. Look what the Psalms just goes on and says. He says, I will praise you, O Lord, so teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given me. So he's speaking the word. I have rejoiced in your law as much as in riches. I will study your commands and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Listen to what the Psalms has said he did with God's word. He hid God's word in his heart. He recited God's word out loud. He rejoiced in God's word. He studied God's word. He reflected on God's word. He delighted in God's word so that he would not forget God's word. We're going to focus this year on hiding God's word in our heart. And my prayer is we're going to create a holy habit of memorizing scripture and studying the word of God and rejoicing in the word of God and declaring the word of God and speaking the word of God. Why? Because God's word is life. And it changes things. Last point, here it is. So we're going to have points of prayer. We're going to have nights of worship. We're going to have scripture memorization. Last but not least, we're going to define the fast and stick to it. We don't set a corporate fast. We encourage every person here to seek the Lord and ask God, Lord, what do you want me to fast from? Now, fasting in its purest biblical definition means to abstain from food. I know a lot of times people will fast from social media. I think that is awesome. But even if you're fasting from social media, I want to encourage you, abstain from food. Let me tell you why. Because there is an appetite in our flesh that needs to be crucified. If I walk in the flesh, the Bible says, I will not I will not." Walk in the Spirit. But if I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The goal, again, is not abstinence from food. The goal is connection to God. But I want you to hear me. One of the ways that we humble ourselves, when you read the Scripture, you find out in the Old Testament, they humble themselves, how? Through fasting. Nothing makes you more dependent on God than saying no to the appetite of your flesh for food. Now, I'm going to give you something from Scripture in just a minute. I've never shared this before. I've never seen it before. But I'm going to share something with you today that I pray is going to bring some light and some illumination on specific things God will want you and me to fast from. So why should we fast? Because fasting elevates and accelerates God's work in our life. When you add fasting to prayer, worship, and the Word, you know what will happen? It will elevate you and it will accelerate what God is wanting to do in your life. Look with me in Daniel chapter 1. It says, The king assigned them, this is speaking of Daniel and his three friends, we call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were Jewish boys taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. They were living in a foreign land. They were living under the authority of a pagan king. And now they had been chosen to go through three years of training so that they could serve in the royal court and be a servant to the king. The Bible says this, The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. 
They would be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azirah were the four young men chosen from all the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. Look at verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. And he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, what you've got to understand is that the Jewish people have a very strict dietary code. There were certain things according to the law they could eat and certain things according to the law they could not eat. And now they're sitting at the king's table and this pagan king is serving them everything. And Daniel, the Bible says, is determined in his heart not to defile himself with the food on the king's table. And he asked for permission not to eat those things. As I was studying this, the Lord spoke this to me and I wrote it down so I could share it with you. The Lord said this. He said, Keith, ask the people, what food is defiling you? What food is defiling you? What are you eating that is eating away at your health and your spiritual legacy? What are you eating that is eating away at your health and your spiritual legacy? I've shared this many times here at the church. When I started trying to lose weight and get in shape, and I'm still losing weight, and I'm in better shape than I was. But the Lord told me, He said, Keith, you're going to die physically before you fulfill spiritually what I've called you to. So let me ask you a question. When you pray about fasting, Lord, what do you want me to fast from? Ask the question, Lord, what food's defiling me? And maybe it's not specifically the food you're eating. Maybe it's the amount of the food you're eating. How many know one tablespoon of peanut butter is not bad? One tub of peanut butter is probably not good. What's defiling me, Lord? What's affecting my health? Let, let me just challenge you in something. I, I talk to people all the time that have been diagnosed with different diseases and we, we say it that way, you've been diagnosed because it's not yours, it's the devil's. But if you've been diagnosed with diabetes and the doctor says you shouldn't eat sweets, then maybe you shouldn't eat sweets. If you've been diagnosed with certain diseases and you've been told this is not good for your health, it amazes me, including me, how often we continue to eat those things. I had a heart attack May the 13th of this year. They said you shouldn't eat fried foods. I thought that's great until I want to eat fried foods. What's defiling you? What's hindering not just your health, but your spiritual legacy of living the life God has called you to live? I want to be healthy till the day I die. I want to walk to my own funeral. I want to be stronger on the day of my death than I was on the day of my birth. And i got to change some things if I'm going to do that, just to be honest with you. This fast is an amazing opportunity to identify those things that are defiling us and say, God, I'm going to begin to break that stronghold off my life. I'm going to begin to break that stronghold off my life. Through prayer, worship, and the Word, I'm going to begin to fast those foods, those things in my life that are defiling me. I'm going to press in for Jesus. I want to live the life God's called me to live. How about you? So I want us to do this. Let's just bow our heads. I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet.
going to let you lift your heads up. I'm going to head myself. Let's do this. Let's, let's have our prayer teams come. I want to open the altar this morning. We're going to go into one final song of worship. And then we're going to close with a salvation prayer in just a moment. But if you're here this morning, maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you're going through something. You need somebody to stand with you. Maybe you're battling through some things and you just you need a breakthrough in your life. Man, our prayer teams would love to stand with you. They would love to pray with you. They would love to agree with you this morning in prayer because we believe, as you've already heard today, we believe God answers prayer. And this is your moment to respond. So if you need prayer for any reason, we'd love to agree with you this morning in prayer. And before we close today, we're going to close with an opportunity. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we're going to give you an opportunity to accept Christ today. We're going to give you an opportunity to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Well, let's go into this song of worship. Let's praise the one who died that we might live. Amen. today as he's praying the altar if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you say you know what Pastor Keith I've never accepted Christ you're talking about praying and fasting and studying scripture and all these things and the truth is I don't even know God but I want to know him today 
The Bible says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says, and now is the appointed time. So if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, today's my day. I want to accept Christ. I'm willing to repent of my sins. I'm willing to turn to God, and I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. If that's you, just slip your hand up. Just an act of faith this morning. Just a simple act of faith that says, today I want to be born again. I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you've never made that decision, today is your day. Today's your day. If you're watching online, you can type in, I'm raising my hand. You can hit that little hand emoji. We want to pray with you this morning. So let's pray this prayer together. Everybody in the room, let's say it together out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. We're going to let these continue to pray in the altar this morning. We love you guys. Happy New Year. God bless you. Have a great, great day in the Lord. Amen.